This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, December 24th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. So-called ungoverned spaces are essentially places where central governments simply do not reach. They could be hotbeds of terrorism, or they could simply be places not worth bothering. Jennifer Keister is author of a new Cato report, The Illusion of Chaos, Why Ungoverned Spaces Aren't Ungoverned, and Why That Matters. We spoke last week. So ungoverned spaces is the latest in a, or one of the latest in a a range of terms, which all apply to what essentially comprise areas into which the the reach of a state or government is limited and or operate under non-traditional forms of governance. They aren't under state control. Uh, So this looks a bit confusing from the outside because you're referring to spaces like the Somali hinterlands, which are very sparsely populated, where there's now been increased concern about sort of megacities or feral city areas, which are sort of a jumble of urban slums, very densely populated. Um, And the general concern with these is that because there's limited state control or the states are um, governing in a way that's assessed to be sort of poor governance, that they'll shelter or produce violent non-state actors or other threats to America, um, its allies, and its interests. And and, uh, this term also uh, includes rural North Korea? It's basically everywhere that you can look on the map um, where you don't see – it's not – there's not a traditional nation state operating in that space. Um, so you have a central government, but it can't reach out and touch people in that area in the way that it can in perhaps the capital city. And there's a lot of hand-wringing among American officials and I assume some international bodies that this exists. So what is what is the problem that, that uh, say, the State Department or other agencies see as being caused by ungoverned spaces? Right. So this, there's been a sort of pervasive interest about this. It's been proven fairly enduring and bipartisan. Um, and to get concern from, you know, more recently, Senators uh, McCain and uh, Lindsey Graham. You've got uh, various chiefs of staff um, in the military weighing in on this as well. The basic concerns are, one, that these areas will either shelter or spawn violent non-state actors or sources of instability. And then two, because they're outside the reach of the state or because they're they're not under traditional authorities, that we can't reach out as Americans and either you know, control or try to mitigate those threats um, in ways that we can with other states. So my ears perk up a little bit when I hear that the people most concerned about this, at least in the U.S., Senator Lindsey Graham and John McCain, because they have very particular ideas about foreign policy. So what they see uh, these areas that are if not governed by the U.S. directly with uh, some sort of eyeballs on that area, not governed then by what sh- what is appro- might appropriately be thought of as the central government managing that area. Right. So we've seen a lot of press about this, and, and certainly uh, Senators uh, Graham and McCain's comments most recently have focused on the Syria issue. Um, so there's this concern. You know, the reach of the Syrian state, the reach of the Iraqi state has clearly been shown to be limited. Um, and the idea is that in this space, the gap between, you have the Islam, what's now called the Islamic State that's arisen and clearly exercises more control there. Uh, so the idea is that this space has both you know, poor governance on both sides of that um, international border have given sort of grist to the mill of uprisings, and the limited reach of the state has allowed them to persist and engage in a, you know, any number of headline-grabbing uh, activities, which has then spawned concern uh, on this side of, of the ocean as well. If I were an American imperialist viewing this situation, it seems that uh, it would be helpful to manage all of the uh, client states of the U.S. to have them care about 
their own border integrity. But what are the what are the potential costs of uh, the United States paying c- countries, subsidizing countries, or otherwise uh, urging them to really care about these spaces that they otherwise wouldn't care about? Well, I think uh, you're well well commenting on on sort of the idea of paying or subsidizing these. I think in all cases, you're up against the reality that these areas exist and persist as they do for a fairly sensible set of reasons underneath. Uh, so one is that there's a or substantial, in some cases, gap between the costs and benefits of controlling them. Uh, so you can control them. You may be able to mitigate risks to your, your country or your, um, your person. You may be able to extract taxes. In some cases, these areas simply don't present an existential threat to the regime. Um, that hosts them. They don't provide much of a tax base. So you've got a big, you know, fairly low benefits of rule and fairly high costs. They're difficult to control and administer. And, uh, you know, so the United States can come in and say, you know, sort of subsidize that gap. But unless you address the fact that it exists in the first place, you're going to be paying to subsidize that gap for quite some time. And as you note, a lot of these, you said that these uh, gaps in governance exist for a reason. Uh, if what would happen if the United States paid for this gap to be bridged for a long period of time and then stopped paying? Well, then you're back to the underlying architecture, right? So in, in the absence of you know, actually having changed the fact that the benefits are low and the costs are high, as soon as you take the subsidy away, the state has no incentive necessarily to continue to incorporate or administer these spaces. Uh, you can also run the risk that by encouraging uh, states to step in in particular ways in areas, you may actually provoke some of this violence and instability that you're trying to seek to avoid in the first place, uh, which ends up being a little bit of a, you know, sort of vicious irony there. Malou Innocent, one of our uh, colleagues here at the Cato Institute, talks about the border between Afghanistan and Pakistan. And there are plenty of really good reasons for the United States to care about where that line is and assuring that the central governments in both of those countries really care about that line and and securing it. But uh, that line between those two countries is essentially meaningless. Yeah, no, and certainly the Pakistan-Afghan border is is one that that's fairly prominent, but this this problem persists, or you know, this issue persists in a variety of other places as well. Uh, the fact, the simple fact, is that in some cases the border is more important to the you know, to the United States for reasons of you know, control and arms regulation and the flow of people than it is for those regimes. Um, they simply it doesn't present an existential threat to them. The costs of securing it are high, and the benefits are low. Um, so in that case, you. Their, in, our, their interests aren't really aligned with America's. Um, so you then really have the only alternatives to try to apply political pressure uh, to sort of censor them you know, into, into picking up the ball on this or, or pay them to do it. Uh, but again, in the absence of any sort of changes to the underlying structure, you know, should the United States stop pushing or paying for it, there's no reason to see that it wouldn't revert to the status quo. Jennifer Keister is author of The Illusion of Chaos, why ungoverned spaces aren't ungoverned and why that matters. You can read the report at Cato.org.